This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 200. The question is the answer. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everybody, to the 200th episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. I am so glad you're with me, and it's a pleasure, as always. The insights, the intrigue, the questions you help me ask myself have helped this conversation just blossom in ways I could have never expected 200-plus episodes ago. I've loved the guests, the contributions of so many of the team members here at Lake Growth Financial Services to make all this possible. It truly is a remarkable revolution, but you know what? None of this would matter if we didn't have people like you making it all possible. So thank you for listening and for contributing to our podcast. And I'll mention quickly our Not Your Average Financial community. That's right. Uh, if you haven't joined us, now's your chance. Go to notyouraverage.mn.co and we'd be glad and honored to welcome you into that community. So with that in mind, let me set aside all of the fun from our 200 plus episodes and get ready for another fun episode today. Guys, let's start with the Greek philosopher Socrates. Okay, so for all those who've already turned off the episode, have a great rest of your day. But for those that would like to get into this, I have some fun that I think we can cover here. So the Greek philosopher Socrates was famous for not answering questions. In fact, some people think that an annoying trait is what got him killed. <laughs> but his words were, I know that I know nothing. I know that I know nothing, he would say. Instead, he, would, he said that the other person already knew the answer to the question. Socrates only had to draw out what was already in the other person's mind. So there are many ways to define Socrates' Socratic method. You know, it's a form of cooperative argumentative dialogue between individuals based on asking and answering questions to stimulate deeper and more critical thinking, to draw out ideas or presuppositions or bias. So I love the idea of using the Socratic method in my conversations with clients. That's right, because it helps empower them to reach their own conclusions. Now, a lot of folks wonder, well, what's it like to have a, a meeting or a financial analysis conversation with a certified financial planner? That sounds a bit intimidating. A lot of folks will say that, or they'll think it if they're not saying it out loud. But I believe, I truly believe that I can inspire you to go through a process of discovering your own needs, wants, and dreams. In fact, asking questions is a way for me to help you organize your thinking about what actions would be appropriate for you and to help develop your own personal vision of financial and retirement success. Now, I've worked on and I continue to work on a basket of questions that I believe that you want the answers to. And I don't necessarily hold those answers. Uh, I believe that it's in you that helps our, our clients and even you figure out what the answers are. I'm no Socrates, certainly not. Uh, but I truly believe that I don't know anything. The only opinion that matters in my conversations is the opinion of my client. And many people in our industry are still trying to impress people by 
spouting off statistics, telling people things, even though we already know that that is not an engaging way to work with folks and it doesn't inspire them to take action. I mean, let's be honest. Most financial professionals were the nerds on the playground, (laughs) okay? That means they're even less engaging on the telephone or in various forms of social media. But asking interesting questions is transformative. I believe that that is the most transformative way we can engage our fellow man. As Dale Carnegie is famous for saying, if you want to be interesting, get interested in other people. In other words, he says, ask good questions. Now, here are six types of questions that I think Socrates posed to people. One, clarifying concepts. Two, probing assumptions. Three, probing rationale or reason or evidence. Four, questioning the viewpoint or the perspective. Five, probing implications, consequences. What happens if this or that happens? And then lastly, questioning the question. Wow, deep stuff. With each of our new clients, I have a deep dive conversation. Either me or one of our advisors will have a deep dive conversation that spans a whole host of topics. It's our complimentary flagship financial analysis. It's our consultation conversation. It's, it's step two in our meetings with new clients. After we've had a brief introductory phone call to say hello and get to know each other, we have our deep dive financial analysis conversation. And I believe that financial planning is oftentimes can be seen as a chore or boring or even intimidating, but I believe that something as important as your financial life should not be caught up or ruined in bad conversations. In fact, I mean, something as central as your money, your financial life should be including with it some of the best conversations of your life. So I want you to think back for a minute on some of the best conversations you've had over your lifetime. Maybe it was with good friends or family. You know, maybe it was laying out under the stars, discussing the meaning of the universe. Maybe it was having important conversations with your spouse about your family's future. Maybe it was talking with high school friends about what you wanted to be when you grew up. I mean, did all those revolve around people yelling at each other or fact figuring or statistic quoting? No, it probably revolved around really thought-provoking questions. Now, my journey in asking questions with clients has made my career fun and interesting. Since I get to ask these questions to these really cool people from folks all over the country, and the resulting discussion for me is endlessly engaging. It's transformative to me. Now, you don't have to be a financial planner to ask good questions. And stick with me through the rest of this episode. I'll show you a few questions that we ask our clients in these financial analysis conversations, and you can kind of get a sneak peek of where that conversation might go when you and I meet as well. So questions are even more important now on the other side of this pandemic that we've all just gone through. Our world, our country has changed forever. As of March, 2020, it's changed. We gotta get used to that. We must prepare ourselves for a new set of circumstances. We've gotta use our creativity to uncover and solve new challenges that we're gonna be faced with. But what if I told you that starting next month, next month, okay, a new virus, a brand new virus was going to be discovered. And we were going to have to just reset everything, go all the way back into lockdown, do it all over again for another 18 months. How do you feel as I describe that? Most people I ask that question to, they say that their tank is empty. They feel like me just saying those words feels like a punch in the gut. Well, first of all, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to do that. But second too, I don't have a crystal ball. 
But what I can see are other crises developing on the horizon. And preparing for them now is going to be crucial. If these crises are not considered and planned for, then families, businesses, your retirement, even everyday life will have serious repercussions for the American people. So I promise this won't be a doom and gloom episode. In fact, there's going to be some significant opportunity for those who are willing to ask, that's right, good questions. Remember, as I go through all this, there's no bad news. And there's no good news. There is only news. So what do we mean by that? I'll, I'll explain as we go through, but just keep that little phrase in your mind. There's no bad news. There's no good news. There's only news. So when we can plan, when we can strategize, then we can turn every challenge into an opportunity. But Americans who don't plan will be seriously harmed financially by these crises. So it's my honor, my responsibility as a financial planner to guide you through these questions, to bring some of these paradigm shifting aha moments that can change the trajectory of your financial life, not just your life, but those of your children, your grandchildren's children and beyond multiple generations. Remember, there is truly no bad news. There's truly no good news. There's only news. So what I'm going to get through are five paradigm shifts where we can make and ask ourselves better questions as a result. Okay, so a paradigm, very quickly, that's just a system of assumptions, concepts, values, practices that constitute a way of viewing your reality. So let's get into that now. And by the way, I want to thank Van Mueller. He's a real hero in the Socratic method, and he's helped me think and formulate many of these questions. So the first paradigm shift, governments will not be able to care for their elderly. Let's look at the math. There are currently, as of this recording, 63 million Americans on Social Security and Medicare. 63 million. And there are 74 baby boomers born between 1946 and 1964. And there are 66 million Gen Xers born between 1965 and 1980. We have almost three taxpayers paying for every recipient of Social Security and Medicare. Isn't the Social Security program already running deficits? And by 2040, we will have one and a half taxpayers paying for every recipient. How did that happen? And what will happen then? Every industrialized nation is getting older. What happens as this planet ages? In 1989, Japan was considered to be on par with the United States economically. But then demographics happened. Fully one third of the Japanese workforce retired. Since that time, the Nikkei, which is the Japanese stock market, fell from 40,000 points down to 10,000 points, and has only recently been hovering around 23,000 points. Guys, it's 31 years later, and they have recovered less than half of what they lost in the late 80s. Japanese interest rates are negative. Their real estate value has collapsed. Their banking system remains in disarray. What will happen here in the United States as baby boomers and Gen Xers begin to retire? Won't we have to increase our children and grandchildren's taxes substantially just to support Social Security and Medicare? Are we going to have to make those programs less viable than they are now, reducing benefits? Wouldn't some combination of both actions be the most likely and palatable choice? If Social Security and Medicare become less viable, won't they leave an ever-increasing retired population to essentially fend for themselves? Guys, are there any solutions that won't put tremendous economic stress on our children? and grandchildren, I cannot even begin to describe the financial impact of long-term care. It's so huge. We already struggle to care for uh, elderly folks today, but what happens when we double or triple the amount of people 
who are going to be needing long-term care? Where will we find the people to work and care for the elderly in these facilities? Where are we going to get the money? Not just the people, but the money. The inflation rate for nursing homes charging us uh, is around 6% per year. That means every 12 years, we're going to require twice as much money to care for folks in a nursing home. That's grandma, grandpa. That's mom and dad. And ultimately, that's you and me. So that means 100 grand a day in a nursing home per year is the average cost. And it'll become $200,000 annually to cover for cover someone in a nursing home in just 11 years by 2032 and $400,000 a year by 2044. This one challenge alone has the potential to overwhelm our economy and devastate the financial future of our country. Remember, governments will not be able to care for our elderly and it doesn't get applied to Medicare or Social Security. That's the first paradigm shift. The second paradigm shift, people are living longer than ever before. Every state in the United States is seeing a dramatic increase in population over age 65. And the group of over 85-year-olds is the fastest growing age group in the country. According to the World Future Society, this blew me away, 85% of people who are over 65 years old who have ever lived are alive right now. That means an American man who is 65 today, an age now reached by almost 80% of men, it can now live, expect to live to age 86 years old. And a woman who's age 50, free of cancer and heart disease, can live to her 92nd birthday. The medical journal, The Lancet, predicts that 50% of babies born today, 50% of babies born today will live to be 100 years old or older. And by 2080, the average life expectancy could be 100 years old for men and 105 years old for women. Guys, remember, there's no bad news. There's no good news. There's just news. These are the most exciting times to be alive. We get to live so many years. We get to see our great-great-grandchildren. However, this information creates great challenges for all the programs serving age, elderly age groups. How are we going to pay for all these very old, very old people? Social Security, back when it was originally designed, was based on a life expectancy of people who were only living at that point till age 62. So this means, in other words, it was designed to pay benefits only a very short amount of time for only a fraction of Americans because it wouldn't start paying out until age 65. And our life expectancy was 62. So do the math there, right? So now, however, Social Security and Medicare are providing benefits for 20 or 30 or even 40 years without re-examining the design of these programs, how are they going to continue to function? How is Social Security going to keep functioning on a sound financial basis? Aren't we going to need to see changes to Social Security, such as reducing or eliminating the cost of living increases, or maybe making your Social Security 100% taxable once you receive back all you've paid in to Social Security? I mean, will Medicare have to pay less, maybe be more restrictive in what it pays out, or maybe both of those things? Will out-of-pocket healthcare costs increase in retirement? This information alone was a paradigm shift that changed my entire financial planning practice. Shouldn't we be discussing the reality of living to age 100? I've even seen information that says, forget planning to 100 years old, we should be planning to live to 120. Insurance companies are coming out with many new life insurance products with contracts going to 110 years old, 120, or even 130 years old. What do they know that we don't? 
In spite of that information, almost everybody underestimates their own lifespan. And once you're 92, you can't go back and save more money when you were 32. So what a challenge, right? What a challenge, but also what an opportunity. There's no bad news. There's no good news. There's only news. So how can our not your average financial strategies help our clients? Well, 75% of all pensions in America are paid out as joint and survivor. This basically means, this phrase, joint and survivor, means that the married couple will be paid, but when the last surviving spouse passes away, all the remaining money is kept with the pension company. By doing this, we're literally disinheriting the next generation of money that will be crucial, crucial to the family's survival of many families across America. Many Americans don't even realize that they're doing this to their kids and grandkids. But what if I could show you a way where you could receive approximately the same income you were going to receive under that joint and survivor pension, but instead of the insurance or pension company keeping the money when you both passed away, uh, you would stay in complete control of the money and be able to pass it on to your family for use of generations and generations to come. Wouldn't you want to know about that? Remember, people are living longer than ever before. So that's our second paradigm shift. The third paradigm shift is we are transforming from an industrial economy, which by definition requires a bunch of mass human labor, to an information economy, which by definition does not require that labor. Jeremy Rilkin, he's an author. He wrote the book, The End of Work, Technology, Jobs, and Your Future. He says that if you're a secretary or a file clerk, if you work in a mailroom, or if you're on a factory floor, if you have a garden variety middle manager position at work, if you're a bank teller or a librarian, if you're in wholesale or retail, the chances that your job won't be there in five years is high. Five years. Less than 2% of global workforce out there is still in the mass assembly factory line. And we're seeing the virtual elimination of the blue collar factory workers across the world. The factory of the future is, in, in my estimation, the factory of the future is only going to have two workers, a man and his dog. The man will be there to feed the dog and the dog will be there to make sure the man doesn't touch any of the equipment. Harvard shared a study predicting over 70% of people working today will be out of work, out of their fields of work and doing something else. Within two years, 70% of people working today doing something else in just two years. In the 21st century, people won't just need job skills. They're going to require a new way of thinking. They're going to have to get creative with their work. That adjustment will take time and, most importantly, money. That's the third paradigm shift, that transformation of our economy. The fourth paradigm shift, interest rates. Interest rates are going to remain at near zero for the foreseeable future. Now, I read an article in the Financial Post that predicts interest rates would remain below 1% until 2030. That's 10 years from now. And they'll be below 3.5% until 2050. That's most of the rest of your lifetimes, guys. Mine too. Governments will attempt to keep interest rates so low uh, that they're going to continue to service all that debt. They have to keep them low to cover all the debt that they're creating and managing that debt in a manageable way. They can't raise interest rates super high or they couldn't service the debt. So it would be wise to master the accounting rules of 72 and 115. The, seven, the rule of 72, guys, you can grab your calculator. If you divide your interest rate by 72, that's approximately how many years it'll take to double your money. It also works for inflation. If you divide the inflation rate into 72, that'll show you how many years 
will be required to double your income so that you can keep buying milk and groceries at the grocery store, keep your current standard of living. For the rule of 115, that's how many years it takes to triple your money or your income. Here's some examples. If you earn just 1% on your money, it'll take 72 years to double it. If we have 3% inflation, you'd have to double your income every 24 years to maintain the purchasing power you began with, or triple your money every 38 years to do so. The paradigm uh, will also impact the returns of cash value and annuities, and this changes everything that we've ever known or believed about life insurance contracts. Now, retirees I work with are now setting up financial planning strategies at our financial firm, uh, such as guaranteed income that they cannot outlive, the use of mortality credits, and the most important concept of all, leveraging. Leveraging. By the way, if you'd like to see and, and incorporate some of these assets into your own financial portfolio, reach out to me and let's talk. You can go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com and click on request a meeting. It's very simple. We'll set up a 15-minute meeting to discuss these strategies. Now, in the world of low interest rates, in this environment, our firm has the tools to help our clients achieve financial and retirement success in spite of the blunders being made by the government, Wall Street, the Federal Reserve, and more. That's the fourth paradigm shift. The fifth and final one is our government will print more money than ever believed possible. Now, according to usdebtclock.org, the M2 money supply in the year 2000 was $4.8 trillion. M2 is basically the closely watched indicator of how much money is out there in the world and also the future inflation of that money. And they set a target of central bank monetary policy using M2, okay? So as of March, 2021, again, remember in 2000, the M2 supply was 4.8 trillion. But now as of March, 21, the M2 supply is up to 19.8 trillion almost four times as much money floating out there as there was just 20 years ago. Our population has only increased by 10% since the year 2000, yet our money has almost grown 400% over that same period of time. This is a big deal. Let's kind of get scary here for a minute. The forecast of the M2 money supply will increase to $42.8 trillion in just three years. That's doubling the money in just three years. Finally, the debt clock predicts that M2 money supply will increase to almost $100 trillion in just seven years. That's an $80 trillion increase in just seven or eight years or 500% increase in that period of time. It's also predicted that currency and credit derivatives are going to increase by, get this, $1.2 quadrillion by 2028, just seven years from now. This is all artificial money creation. This is dramatically decreasing the power of your money. It's a stealth tax. Everybody pays it, rich and poor, especially the poor. Whether they make 10,000 bucks a year, 100,000 per year, or a million per year, or 10 million per year, think about it. If inflation rises to only 5%, using the accounting rule of 72, that means Americans are going to lose half of their purchasing power every 14 years. If we have 5% inflation, and you need 100 grand a year to live on, it, in 14 years, you're going to need 200 grand a year in retirement to buy the exact same goods and services. Everybody pays. And remember, Americans are living longer and longer, which only exacerbates the problem. 
most Americans are going to have to live with either a lower standard of living or not retire at all. I believe this is the biggest and most dangerous challenge of all. How do we offset 5% inflation or even higher? Some people say even higher inflation rates are possible. With less than 1% interest rates, how are we going to fight against that kind of inflation? How do we offset inflation if the stock market provides zero returns like it did from 2000 to 2010? Again, we have not your average counterintuitive financial solutions. Things like guaranteed lifetime income, mortality credits, and leverage. These solutions are not found on Wall Street. They're not found in your 401k. These are not your average financial solutions, and we can offer those solutions. So if you've made it this far into the episode, first of all, congratulations. You obviously care about the future of your economy and your own financial future. And if you're human, like me, and I, I assume you are, uh, and you've considered these paradigm shifts, you probably are feeling overwhelmed with questions, emotions, and concerns. So my question, back to questions, my question now is, what do you want to do about all this? You're likely thinking, well, Mark, I have no idea. What do you suggest? Well, I hope you're going to laugh, but I actually have to ask just a few more questions so we can clarify exactly what you want to accomplish. And feel free to write some of these questions down. Don't worry, I only have five questions as we wrap up here, but I believe they help build a bridge and help you organize how you'd want to proceed. So my first question is, what do you want to have happen to you when you die? Now, that seems like a weird off-the-wall question, kind of morbid, but I want you to really think about it just for a minute. Not that I want you to dwell on it forever. I know it's a strange question after all we just went through, but please tell me everything you'd want to have happen to you when you die. Would you like your children to attend the same school? Would you want your spouse to have to return to work? Would you want your, what do you want to have happen to your business? Who do you want to own your business, etc. You know, get in mind as clear as you can, what kind of outcome you'd want to have should you pass away. My second question, what do you want to happen when you become disabled? You know, that's another strangely worded question, but you might not realize that almost everybody in America becomes disabled for at some period of time over their lifetime. So please tell me everything you want to have happen to you if you couldn't work for a year or two or three or possibly never again. Do you want to turn a physical catastrophe into an emotional catastrophe? Do you want to get into a divorce to qualify for benefits? Unfortunately, some people have to do that. Do you want to lose your home? That's a hard decision to make, but important to think about. Third question, what do you want to have happen to you if you have a critical illness, heart attack, stroke, cancer? Do you want to lose your house or lose your mortgage? Do you want to have to return to the job that maybe contributed to your heart attack or help you maybe train for a different job? I mean, wouldn't money give you the opportunity to train for a different career, maybe a more sane career? My fourth question, what do you want to have happen when you go to a nursing home? Now, I say when, again, strangely worded question, but please realize that Social Security Administration now predicting 85% of Americans are going to require long-term care eventually, 85% of us. So what do you want to have happen to you then? Do you want the government to get your money? Do you want the nursing home to get your money? Or would you prefer your family get your money if you go to the nursing home? I'm going to assume that you, like all of my clients, want your family to get the cash. So I'm asking, you understand that the way things are set up now, that does not happen. Your current financial plan most assuredly 
sets it up where the government or the nursing home will receive your life savings. So what do you want to do about that? Now, the fifth and final question, what do you want to have happen to you when you retire? Do you want to stay in Illinois and freeze to death in the winter? Or would you like to move someplace warm? Do you want to work on the golf course? Or do you want to play on the golf course? Do you want to run out of money before you run out of month? Do you want to be an old man or an elderly gentleman? What's the difference? Isn't it access to money? Isn't that the difference? The access to cash? So with all this in mind, thank you, first of all, for spending some time with me to think through some of these paradigm shifts and questions. I believe question asking is the most important phase of my relationship journey with clients um, because we're in it together through, through conversations, discovering, and sharing what's most important, the financial decisions that our clients will ever make. And only after we have clarity on these questions and answers to these questions, do we arrive at financial strategies and products and tools that determine what clients really need to accomplish and organize their goals. So I've hinted at a few times throughout the episode, but I'll say it very clearly now. In the midst of such volatility and turbulence in our world today, guys, we need some financial miracles. Believe me, there is no bad news. There's no good news. There's only news. So what are some of the financial miracles available to you, to any American willing to think and live differently with their money? The first miracle is the financial miracle of compound interest. That is the powerful, most powerful financial tool in your toolbox is the miracle of compound interest. The second is the financial miracle of tax deferral or tax-free compound interest. So what's, only, what's the only thing better than compound interest? It's tax-free compound interest. And the third financial miracle is the miracle of leveraging, taking pennies that buy dollars and dollars that can do more than one job at a time. Those are three financial miracles. And with these miracles at your fingertips, what are the five paradigm shifts that we mentioned earlier couldn't you tackle and maybe even take advantage of? So no news is bad news. No news is good news. If you've got access to capital and you've got access to the financial miracles I just mentioned, you can take advantage of these opportunities and put yourself and your family in a better place. So a couple of key takeaways as we wrap up this episode. Remember, one more time, there's no bad news. There's no good news. There's only news. How you interpret the news depends on your perspective. If you're sitting on top of some uh, financial pile of money and you have access to the financial miracles mentioned, this is all good news. So that's my first takeaway. Second, write down 10 or 20 of your favorite questions. The questions could be a question that you have a real interest in. Once you've written them down, put them somewhere where you'll find it again, and then go to sleep. That's right. I said, go to sleep. Come back the next day and look at your question list and then try to answer them. And bonus points if you answer them with a brand new question, a deeper question. The sleep will be a way to help move you through the questioning position and then begin searching for answers. Now, third takeaway, the better you get at asking questions, the more engaging you become. The more questions you ask, the more engaged people around you become. I know it sounds simple, but honestly, it's life-changing. Ask great questions, become interesting. Fourth and final takeaway, grab a journal and please tell me everything you want to have happen to you when you die. Again, write down some of the questions. Go back earlier in the episode to write down those five questions, including that first one, and jot that down. Make it a journal entry. Get in your mind as clear an outcome as you can 
you'll be better off for it. You'll thank me later. So with all that and with 200 episodes in the can, I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.